So we're, we're in a series uh, called Love, Sex, and Loneliness. And as I was thinking about, uh, you know, the, the personal nature of this, it was back in July 21st, 2000, that I married an incredible, uh, incredible, beautiful, uh, funny, creative young woman. Her, her name at that point was Carrie Von Camp. And we, and, and we got married, and look at that. That's Carrie's first husband. Um, <laughs> And uh, this is so crazy. I had just turned 23, and Carrie had just, uh, like a month and a half, two months uh, before, had turned 20. Isn't that insane? Like, I've told my girls, you, you won't be allowed to do that, okay? So don't, don't think that you'll be allowed. That was back 100 years ago when that was allowed. Uh, and three weeks after we got married, we moved to Pittsburgh where we didn't know a soul. So how about starting a marriage that way, right? And so it was just us. It was just Carrie and I, just us, and a whole bunch of expectations. <laughs> expectations, because I grew up in a home, and, and I had seen what my mom did in, in their marriage, and I assumed that my wife would do the same things that my mom did in their marriage, and Carrie grew up in a family, and she assumed that I would do the things that she had seen her father do in their marriage, and, and, and expectations can be a wonderful thing, but I'll be honest, in marriage, they can be really horrible horrible right because because nobody could that was a different set of parents it was a, they had different giftings and different talents and different callings and so so we get married and and and, and there was a struggle and 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 honestly now this year we'll celebrate 22 years of marriage there's still moments because communication like you got to keep at that and figuring out how to deal with conflict and and just when you got things figured out you have a kid and that messes everything up. And then you have a couple more kids. And then, and then when you finally figure out that, they get older and they become teenagers. And, and half their brains like, are missing from their body. And, and, and marriage, right? Like marriage can be so difficult. And I thought in the beginning, I thought I had marriage figured out. Because I had, in Bible college, gone to a class called Marriage and Family and I had passed that class, and so I thought, you know, this can't be too difficult, right? And before we got married, the pastor who married us did two sessions of pre-marriage counseling. And so we had these two sessions of marriage counseling, and, and I had gone through, like, we know marriage, right? But, whew, man, you get into it and you realize, man, do I know anything about marriage? Do I have any clue? And one of the things that we wrestle with, because we don't talk about this enough in church, is what is even marriage for? Like we've gone through in the last decade in our culture, we've gone through a, a war over what is the definition of marriage. How should marriage be defined? And I think lacking in all of this has been a really like honest talk about what is marriage for? What is the reason for marriage? And we're going to look at that this morning. In fact, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I hope you have a Bible that you bring with you to church and a Bible that you read throughout the week, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, this whole sermon, we're going to be in Genesis 2. Occasionally, I'll flip a page and go back to Genesis chapter 1. But really, this is going to be our main passage this morning. And what we want to do is we want to look at the first marriage of all time to help us have an understanding of what is the reason for marriage. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. And it says this, Adam gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but there was still no helper just right for him. 
We're going to expand on this and talk about this a little more in just a moment. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called, whoa, man, because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and leaves the basement and the free laundry and playing video games all night. That's in my translation. And is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now, this passage is a template for us. It's not even actually describing Adam and Eve as much because, because you know, uh, Adam didn't have to cut any apron spring, strings from his mother. Like, he was the original, and Eve didn't have any other choice. And so this commentary in verse 24, this explanation of marriage, is for us today. That we can understand what are the reasons for marriage. And so I'm going to talk just real quickly about some reasons for marriage. We're going to talk about a really crucial part of all this. And then we're going to talk about those of you in this room that this whole sermon you're going, well, I hated this sermon because my marriage is nothing like that. Or my spouse passed away. Or I'm single. Or whatever. We're, we're going to get into some of that and hopefully bring some ministry to you and some help for you. Here, here's the first reason that we get from this passage of scripture of, of why marriage exists. The first reason is for friendship. For friendship. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, what's the word there? We're going to define some terms there in a few minutes. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So if you, if you are used to the creation narrative, and if you're not, I really encourage you this week, pick up your Bible and just start in Genesis chapter 1 and, and spend a few chapters just reading through the creation narrative and you'll get into some other aspects of, of the very beginning of how things God put things together. And the, the creation narrative basically goes like this. God creates on day one and at the end of day one he goes, oh, that's good. And then the next day he creates some more and at the end of the day, he goes, oh, that's good. And the third day, he creates some more, and he says, oh, that's good. And there's a whole lot of creating, and there's a whole lot of, oh, that's good. But then God does so. He creates this man, and, and this man is good, but there's something that's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, this doesn't mean that you've got to get married to enjoy friendship. Marriage isn't the only way to enjoy deep friendships and to enjoy community. And, and here's the reason why I know this is because Jesus was single. And Jesus knew, like more than anybody on this world, how to enjoy community, how to build friendships with other people. The Apostle Paul was single. In fact, he, he in 1 Corinthians encourages singleness. Because he knows how crazy marriage can be and how difficult marriage can be. But we were created for community. And marriage is one of the best ways of experiencing community. There, there's a line from the ancient Hebrew literature that, that refers to a person's, or there's a word, not a line. There's a word in the Hebrew wisdom literature that refers to a person's spouse. And the Hebrew word is a loop. And a loop can be translated closest friend or best friend, that one of the primary reasons why God created marriage is so that you and I can go through life 
with someone. My, my wife knows a whole laundry list of my defects and faults and issues, and yet she still loves me and cheers for me and encourages me. That's friendship. Friendship is I get to know you, I get to know the real you, and yet I still love you, and I'm gonna hang in there with you. That one of the primary reasons why God gives us marriage is so that we can experience friendship. Here's the second reason why God gives us marriage, and, and there's all kinds of terms that scholars have used throughout the years. The, I, the first time I heard the term I'm gonna use for you today is in this book, Loveology, by John Mark Comer. He uses the word gardening. Gardening, that the second reason why God gave us marriage is for gardening. Now, now at first, I'll be honest, I hate gardening. Okay, I heard some amens. Some of you are like, that'll preach. I hate gardening too. My wife loves gardening. I don't understand it at all. Like to me, hell would be me getting to hell and the devil with his pitchfork saying, here's some ground, some seed, have at it. Like that would, oh, really? Like my wife, that's heaven. Like she loves she goes out there, the kids are screaming in the house, she puts on some headphones, and it's just her, and to her, dirt is beautiful, and seeds and plants are beautiful. I don't, I don't get it at all. But for, for our sake this morning, let's use gardening as a metaphor, okay? Gardening, we're not talking about literal gardening, we're talking about gardening as a way of, of well, let's go to scripture. Genesis 2, verse 15, says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Like at the, the very beginning of creation, after God creates a man, one of the first things that he does is he gives this man a sense of purpose and a sense of calling. He gives him a mission. He says, this is what I created you to do. And this garden wasn't like a little, you know, like, uh, like your backyard. This was like the size of a state. Like think of that. And, and, and he's saying, hey, I want you to just take this, this little corner of this, this state. I want you to tend it. I want you to be in charge of it. You're in control of it. And then he says in verse 18, then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. A few minutes ago, I had you emphasize that word helper. If you're following along with your notes, you can circle it. This Hebrew word for helper is the word ezer or ezer, and it's almost always used of military help. In fact, other than, other than this account in Genesis, it, that's, that's what it's all, the context is always military help. It would be like our friends in, in Ukraine going, I need an ezer right now. I need a military helper. I can't do this on my own. I need some help. It's never used in scripture with a subordinate meaning. In fact, it's mentioned 17 other times other than this Genesis account, and every other time in scripture this word is used, it is actually used of God himself. God isn't our slave. God isn't our servant. And men, your wife is not either. Guys, that would be a really good place to say amen, really loudly. It would help your wife to know that. He says, this is scripture. He goes, I will make a helper who is just right for him. And somewhere over the years within the American church, like we've gotten this idea, this male chauvinistic idea, well, my wife is my slave. She picks up my laundry that I just leave on the floor wherever I want to, and, and she cleans, and she cooks, and she takes care of the house. Even though she works a full-time job too, <laughs> so that's hitting a nerve. 
Be, be careful. Be careful how loud you say amen. I don't want to cause more fights afterward. Listen, she, she, what, is the, what is the idea of partnering? Because there's a mission that you are called to together. Because you, you have a purpose that God has. He has given you a garden to tend. Suitable. On the same level, she is made from Adam's side. They're shoulder to shoulder, side to side, all for the sake of gardening or work. And every marriage needs a gardening project, a calling, a sense of this is what we were called by God to do. Our corner of the garden, what is your calling? What is your mission? This is the part that when I talk to couples, this is, of the four we're going to talk about, for most, this is the one that's the most cloudy, the most nebulous to them. All healthy marriages are built around a calling. And if the point of your marriage is just to have a marriage, it will collapse on itself. At some point, you need to sit down and ask God to put inside of you something that you can do together. And it doesn't even have to be hyper-spiritual. Maybe, maybe it's golf. I hate golf. You too? Janetta, I think, I think you almost gagged when I said that. I don't know. I, I know of couples. I, I'm not a golfer. To me, again, that would not be a fun thing. But I know couples, that's, that's their gardening. That's their call. They go out and, and, and maybe they can use that to meet other couples. And, and, and I don't know what it is. I, I, I was talking, there's, oh, Christopher and Brooke over there. Don't you love it when I say names? Brooke is like, I'm going to kill you right now. You know, for, for them, they're the newest addition to our, our student ministry team on Tuesday nights. We have a middle school and high school. And, yeah. And uh, these two rock it. They've got two little kids of their own that are too young to even be in youth group, and yet they come out on Tuesday nights, and for an hour and 15 minutes, actually it's more than that because they get there a half an hour early, and they're there a half an hour afterward. And, and for them, their gardening is we're going to serve together middle school students and high school students. And I love, I was, I was here on Tuesday night just watching things, and I just love seeing their interaction. There's something so positive that happens inside of a marriage when you have something that is your calling and a mission to do together. Now, I don't mean that this needs to be 24-7. It would stifle you. It would suffocate you. You'd be like, get enough time with you. Get away. But, but you need a sense of this is what I'm called to do. And it helps when we see that my partner is my partner. My partner isn't less than me. I'm going I'm to go down a rabbit trail for a second. This isn't in my notes, but, but I, I've been hearing this so much lately, and it drives me crazy. Men, your wife is not your slave. And stop this talk of telling your wife that she needs to submit to you. Uh, this is going to be a part where maybe you just want to be quiet for a few minutes, Okay. Listen, I know Ephesians 5 says wives submit to your husbands. That's scriptural. That's in the Bible. But Paul is writing to who when he says that? In that sentence, wives submit to your husbands, who is he writing to? Wives. He's not saying husbands tell your wives to submit to you. He says wives submit to your husbands. Now he just has a little, just a couple sentences that he writes to the wives. And then he goes on and he says husbands Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he continues. I'm not even going to say the rest of it. And oh, by the way, before he says, wives, submit to your husbands, two verses before that, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Okay, if you and your marriage are having to tell your wife to submit to you, something is way off and she probably isn't seeing you dying to her and dying to yourself and dying to your selfishness. It's the end of my rabbit trail. You can send me angry emails later on. It needs to be, it needs to be we have a mutual purpose. We're in this together. And yes, guys, God has called you to be the head and to be the priest of your home. Okay, I, I totally get that. But I see the priest, the great high priest in scripture being one who is constantly laying himself down and stooping and bending and serving those around him who he had no business having to serve. And when you lead in that way, you won't have any problems with everybody in your family following. Part of the problem is we don't, need to, we don't know how to lead. And so I'm not a very good leader if I'm constantly having to tell people, you have to follow me. I remember hearing once, I got to be in the same room with Colin Powell, and, and I've told you guys this, I'm way off the notes now. Colin Powell, who was chairman of the Joint uh, Chiefs of Staff, and just, a, I mean, he, he was served as Secretary of State, and just probably one of the few people that I've ever met who just, just huge respect for him. And I remember, we ha- we're having issues with the lights, so they're going to flicker, just, that's not Jesus speaking to us. Um, I remember him once saying, this, this was years after his, he, I think he was now on his way to be Secretary of State, and he said, I've never once had to c- command a subordinate. I said, that doesn't make any sense. And he goes, no, I, I say, this is the plan, and they line up with it. He goes, I haven't had to say, you will do this or else. It's just, take it for whatever that is. That's a word for somebody. Listen, the, the reason for marriage is friendship. The reason for marriage is gardening. The reason for marriage, this might get a name. Now the guys will be like, well, at least you give us this one. Sex. Yeah, it's there. A reason for marriage is sex. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So we have two beautiful, young, perfect, healthy, naked people in a garden. Doesn't it sound like something you would see on Fox, you know, on uh, you know, some reality TV show, right? Naked and not ashamed, coming to Fox, <laughs> 10 p.m. Tuesdays. They were lovers. God created the human body, all of it. God, God listen, sometimes I think in the church, we have pictured this, we have, we have this view of God as being like anti-everything. When God is, God created sex. He doesn't look down in the garden and see Adam and Eve messing around and go, what the heck, that's not what those are for. Like, what are you... No, he knew that's what those were for. He created those things. He made it all. And not only did he create sex, but he created marriage as the context for expressing sexuality. That within a marriage, that you can enjoy sex with joy and delight and humility and pleasure and trust and faithfulness and intimacy. And that there should be mutual satisfaction and mutual joy in that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in another week or two. God created sex as the glue and bonding agent for your marriage so that you can stay close and healthy. And this is one of the reasons why God created marriage, was for the expression of sex. Now this doesn't, listen, I, I don't want to put sex on, a, on the same, uh, uh, you know, uh, let me just read from my notes. This doesn't mean that you have to get married. If you're single, which a lot of you are, your desire for sex is not the same thing as your need for food and drink. 
And we live in a culture now that puts sex like at the same level as all of our other like actual needs. Like if I don't have water and I don't have food, in a few weeks I will die. But Jesus got by in 33 years of never having sex. You can live, you can have a fulfilled life without having sex. And just because you're married doesn't mean that you're always going to be able to have sex. This is a new, some of this middle school, high school students or college students, you'd be like, oh crap, I never thought about that. I've known in 20 some years, married couples who because of physical issues, because of diseases, because of other things where they've had to go whole seasons of their marriage without being able to, to have sex with each other. Listen, your marriage better not just be about sex or you could experience some trouble down the road. Like it better be built on friendship and gardening and sex should be a part of that. And we should pray that God, man, we should pray for marriages, that God make that a fruitful part of their marriage. Okay, let's keep going. Family is number four. Number four is family. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. You notice the first commandment in the Bible is not negative. The first commandment in the Bible here is it's positive. Make love and make babies. Make lots of babies. It's what God is commanding here, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Have fun. Make lots of babies. In Genesis, family is the building block of society. Throughout the Bible, we, we read about God as father And we read about you and me as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. Family is at the heart of God's vision for the world. Family is very important to God. So there you have it. We have the reasons we get married. Friendship and gardening and sex and family. And yet there's so much more that we need to say here. Because the problem is, some of you in this room... You say, I I had a lady after the first service, and she goes, I'm married, but I don't enjoy most of that in my marriage because there isn't friendship. There isn't a sense of unified mission and purpose and calling. Thankfully, she didn't tell me about their sex life. I'm I'm glad for that. (laughs) Some Some of you, you go, well, that's a nice list, Ken, but I'm married, and that's not in the cards for me. Some of, some of you in this room, you're, you're single and middle school, high school, college, older, maybe a second time marriage, maybe you've gone through a divorce, maybe you're widowed, and, but, but you still look toward marriage being in the future, man. These are great prayer points to pray for your future of, of not just, God, I want to someday be married, but God, make it specific. God, I want a marriage where there, there's friendship and there's purpose and there's sex. There's nothing wrong with praying for that. And when we can build a family, and maybe you're at an age where you don't want to like literally add more people into the population of the earth, but maybe you can build a family through stepchildren or through, through ministry and, 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 and having sons and daughters in the kingdom that are part of your life. If you're married, maybe this is a good checklist to go through and just have a conversation about. Like how, how are we doing when it comes to this? Are we intentionally setting aside time to grow in our friendship? Are we getting to know each other better? Do we have moments where it's just the two of us? 
And we're able to have fun. And I'm not even talking about it in a sexual way yet, but I'm just talking about like just being able to communicate and how are we doing and, and have fun and everything's not, you know, like a serious conversation. Do you have a mutual sense of purpose and calling? Maybe you need to sit down and have a conversation about this. What, what can we do together? How can, how can we, how can we maybe even serve the kingdom of God? How could we serve the kingdom of God? Or how could we do something in this community where, where we're doing it together? Are you having sex together if you're able to as a married couple? How's that going? Is God using your marriage to build a family? These are great questions for you to sit down and talk about. But before I close, I've got to be honest. Adam and Eve had this down. Think about Adam and Eve. They literally walked and talked with God. They, they got their instructions not from reading it in a Bible. Like They got their instructions from God, communic- God, the master communicator of the universe, speaking to them and giving them the instructions. They experienced friendship and purpose and sex and family on an insanely awesome level. But something happened. They decided to reject God's counsel and they thought that they knew better and sin entered the picture. And here's the thing about sin. Sin doesn't just disrupt our relationship with God. Sin disrupts our most important relationships around us. You've seen it, I've seen it. Hi, my name is Ken and I'm selfish Sometimes I'm jealous. Sometimes I'm greedy. And that doesn't just disrupt my relationship with my Heavenly Father. That messes things up with the people that I'm closest to. And you can try your best to get an A plus in friendship and gardening and sex and family, but without a restored relationship with the Creator, it's not going to work. Ecclesiastes said this, uh, says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And I love this, three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I was gonna, if we had time, I was going to have a, a couple come up here, and aren't Kevin and Christy, you could be glad that we don't have time to do this. But I've got some, I've got some, uh, got some string up here some yarn type of string I don't know what you call it someone will tell me later and you take one of these strands and you can you can easily break it well I can't because I'm a wuss but some of some of you <laughs> some of you could I was going to try to do it uh, but here's it you can you can braid two of these together and and it'll be stronger but there's probably somebody in this room There's probably some situation, there's probably some circumstance where even those two that are braided together could be broken apart. But you braid three of these together, there's almost nobody that would be able to just break that apart. I mean, unless you're like Dwayne Wilson over there, like bodybuilder. Here's what God wants for your marriage. Like, like you can, you can try your best at all. Man, on your own, you can try your best with the friendship and the gardening and the sex and the family and, and build the best marriage. But until, until Christ is put into the very core of your marriage, the disappointments that come at you, 
the frustrations, the hurts, the miscommunications, the expectations that get all discombobulated. You need Christ at the center. You need Christ at the center. And I know I'm speaking to people that are in all kinds of different places when it comes to relationships. Some of you are single and you're looking forward to marriage. Some of you are married and you wish you were single. Some of you are married and it seems like life is going pretty good, but you know it could be better. You know it could be healthier. Some of you are, you were married for decades and now you find yourself widowed and today kind of hurts because you remember when you had that. Can I tell you that we can take this information we're talking about, what the Bible has to say, and we can use this to instruct nieces and nephews and children and grandchildren. We could say this is what marriage is all about. In fact, the church, we need to talk about this. Culture is certainly talking about it. They'll give you their definitions. They'll tell you what they think it's for. We need to be so clear about what marriage is all about. And we need followers of Jesus to live this out, not just talk about it and not just preach about it and go to political rallies and get our blood pressure going. We need people within the church, active, actual followers of Jesus, to live this out so that people around us go, man, everybody's marriage is broken, but I look at yours and you guys are healthy. Like, what is up with that? It's because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. So I want to pray over you. I want to pray, I want to pray blessing and protection and provision. For those of you who are, this sermon actually causes you to grieve because of loss, because of physical loss, or maybe it causes you to grieve because you're in a marriage and you don't see any light of your partner coming around and being this for you or doing this. I, listen, I know God can do supernatural things. He can, he can speak into nothing and create something. He can speak into death and bring resurrection. So don't you stop trusting God. Don't stop trusting him. Would you stand to your feet if you're able? Would you stand? I, want, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. As you're standing, I want to encourage you, next week we're going to talk about a fifth reason for marriage that is a part of the fall. It's a, because, because we have sinned, because of the curse, because of our brokenness, there's a need for a fifth reason, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. And uh, I hope that you'll join us. So let me pray over you. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. And God, I'm not naive. I know that everybody in this room is in different places in relationships. And there's not just two categories. There's like all kinds of categories. Even within singleness and even within marriage. So God, right where each person is in their journey, God, I pray that you would speak to them. Maybe for some today was encouraging. God, that Maybe it's what they need to have a conversation this week and to grow and to maybe be a little more improved in their marriage. God, that's great. I, I pray over them. God, I, I speak blessing over every marriage in this room. Speak protection over every marriage in this room. Provision over every marriage in this room. 
I pray that their friendship would be greater than ever before. God, that, that they would have a sense of calling and mission and purpose. God, that their sex life would be the best that it can be, oh God. That they would be family. To be a strong sense of family in their marriage. I pray for those who are sitting here and honestly say, I'm married, but, but, barely. God, would you give them hope for this? Would you show them how instead of projecting this on their spouse that they can, how can I be a better friend? How can I be better at these things? How can, how can I show Jesus more in these areas? God, for those who are single and they're looking forward to marriage, God, I pray that they wouldn't just settle for just marriage, that they would look to be married to someone who can be their friend. Someone with calling and mission and someone they can enjoy sex with and build a, a family with, oh God. And God, most of all, I pray that every person in this room would put you at the center of their life. Otherwise, we can build what we think is a perfect marriage, but if you're not a part of it, it will crumble. So Jesus, you be the master and the leader of our lives, the Lord of our lives. You be at the center of our lives. We acknowledge that we desperately need you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Come back next week as we uh, have a few more things to say about love, sex, and loneliness. We'll see you later.